five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Q Podcast. This week, my guest is Stéphane Germain, the founder and CEO of GHGSAT. GHGSAT is a Montreal-based global emissions monitoring company. They've developed novel technology and a proprietary platform that uses data from sensors on their small satellite and from airplanes. Soon, they'll have their second and third satellites launched as they hope to build out a small satellite constellation in low Earth orbit. Last week, they were in Davos, Switzerland for the World Economic Forum, having been invited as a technology pioneer. I caught up with Germain on his return to Montreal. He provided an update on the company and his thoughts on the World Economic Forum. Listen in. You've just returned from Davos for the World Economic Forum. Before we discuss your latest announcement, what are your thoughts on being in Davos? I think it was a unique and uh, very special experience to have been invited um, as a technology pioneer to participate in Davos. It's it's an environment that really brings together some of the world's leading decision makers, and it allows um, discussions that are at a global level uh, for um, pe- with people who can really make change happen. And I was thrilled this year that uh, all the top five risks identified, global economic risks identified at the forum were all environment related. So it, it, it was a, it, we had the attention of the world's decision makers at a time when they were focused on environmental and climate change issues as the number one thing they need to deal with. Now, you said you were invited. Who invited you? The World Economic Forum invited us. So every year, the World Economic Forum selects um, something up to about 50 different companies worldwide that they uh, call technology pioneers. And so we applied. We were selected. And of that group, um, a subset is invited to participate at Davos in the annual meeting. So we were lucky enough this year to be invited to participate. And were you on any of the panels? Uh, we actually had a presentation, and then we participated in working groups for uh, several different um, um, subgroups. So um, a energy materials group, a, a steel group, um, and, and the aluminum group, and uh, different groups that, um, that are involved in, in putting together solutions for whether it's for climate change or for um, reducing their overall impact. Um, you know, they get together and have those kind of discussions. So there's uh, the format of the annual meeting is, is a little different than a traditional conference. It's not just presentations by speakers or panels by speakers. They also have ongoing working groups that promote um, multi-stakeholder um, discussions with the name of um, addressing the major risks identified by the World Economic Forum. So it's, uh, it's really a different environment. It's, it's meant to stimulate conversations and action by the people who have the, the authority and the power, frankly, to make those actions around the world. Now, being invited, obviously, is, uh, is an honor and also uh, very useful from a business perspective, I would imagine. Did you uh, wind up having any uh, fruitful uh, business meetings that are going to lead to people wanting to buy your services? 
<laughs> well, absolutely. <laughs> there are several different um, groups of people to uh, try to have conversations with at, a, at an event like that. Certainly customers were very important and high on my list, uh, as were government, um, not just regulators, but politicians uh, at, at very senior levels. Um, and uh, uh, financiers, uh, whether they be venture or private equity, um, or even just angel investors that are very well healed angel investors, uh, those are all accessible at, at Davos. And then, frankly, there's uh, after that, there's just community discussions as in these various working groups that are addressing specific industries. So uh, we had access to all of those, and uh, it, it was, they were all very interesting, and hopefully will lead to. Uh, short-term and long-term um, opportunities for GHGSAT. Now, uh, just out of curiosity, um, without naming names, were there any uh, complimentary competitors of yours that, that were invited as well? Not um, in the greenhouse gas monitoring uh, segment of the Earth observation market, but certainly uh, Will Marshall from Planet was there. And um, uh, a couple of the space agencies globally were represented there. Uh, so certainly the UK was present, uh, Saudi Arabia was present. Um, and so there are that there is certainly a, a smattering of uh, space interest there. But really, this is not a space conference. In fact, space is you don't want to present anything as a space solution. It's quite the opposite. We're solving, trying to, to help solve some of the world's problems by applying space technology. Now, you took advantage of the opportunity of being invited and the visibility that comes with that to make an announcement. And that was that you were developing a web-based application uh, that will include GHG satellite uh, data um, to provide a visualization of methane emissions uh, anywhere over land and that would, ha- and that would have a free component. So... Uh, Give us the the details and, and and let us know why people would be interested in this. Well, GHGSAT has been asked for several years now how we can contribute data to um, for, for public good, for whether it be for scientific research or academic research or, or policy research, and um, you know to make sure that all the best and data is available to help accelerate the fight against climate change. And Davos gave us a, a unique platform from which to announce to the world that we wanted to respond to that request. And so the concept and that we um, announced that we will make available at COP26, and which is the Conference of Parties um, uh, next meeting in Glasgow in November 2020, uh, we announced that we'd make our data available on an aggregated basis, um, combining our data with um, other sources of data that are publicly available to provide a state-of-the-art representation of uh, greenhouse gas emissions and methane in particular across the world. So the idea was really to respond to that need, to that request, and, and also to foster collaboration because we want to work more closely with other uh, measurements and other satellites and even aircraft and ground operators and putting together the best possible source of, of data for public good as possible. 
Now, there's also going to be a paid component to, to this service. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and what's the difference between the free and the paid component? Well, the paid component is, is the same as it's always been. We, our business is, is founded on providing high-resolution gas imagery uh, on a subscription basis. And so that does not change with this announcement. What this announcement does is uh, provide aggregated information. So specifically, the difference between the two is that the aggregated data is going to be on an average 2 by 2 kilometer grid around the world. Whereas our subscription services uh, typically on a 25 meter grid, so much much higher resolution. All right. And what are some of the other data sources, public data sources that are going to be included? Well, we we publicly announced our partnership with uh, um, the European Space Agency, and in fact, we put together a call for proposals but with the Canadian Space Agency and the European Space Agency to have access to data from our next satellite. So that uh, relationship is extending and continuing with Sentinel-5P and Tropomi. And so we absolutely intend to collaborate with Tropomi to put this grid, this two by two kilometer grid together. Uh, but there's other sources as well that I'd rather not make public at this point. Uh, but certainly Tropomi is one clear and obvious one. All right. And obviously, when uh, monitoring greenhouse gas emissions, uh, if you're interested in this area, uh, one of the things that comes to my mind is, uh, you know, what's happening today, but what's happening a month from now. So in terms of the initial refresh rate for, for some of these or for the global visualization, what, what, what's, what's the refresh rate going to be, you know, when you first launch this and down the road once you've got uh, more satellites launched? Well, that's one of the variables that we are going to consult in the coming months with uh, both users and also with partners who are helping us uh, put together this grid uh, in determining what the, the refresh frequency will be. I mean, notionally, I think it's it's fair to expect that on a monthly basis, we would uh, iterate and update the data. But I, co- I hope we can do it a lot faster than that. Um, but we want to w- walk before we can run. Well, like I said, we're going to consult with users and our partners to see what is doable in the short term uh, with you know a, a modest uh, amount of effort from all of us. And uh, remind me again, how many satellites are you hoping to have in the constellation? Well, we are launching two this year. We have Claire, our demonstration satellite, which is in orbit and operating health and healthy right now. And uh, we have two more that we're launching this year, so three. And we're planning to launch another 10 within the next two years. So that would lead to a total of 12. Um, and there's more in the pipeline behind that uh, for related purposes. So uh, for short, to make a long story short, let's say 12 uh, by 2022. And uh, these are all in low Earth orbit. And what are their orbits? Well, they're all in a sun-synchronous low Earth orbit. They're typically at 500 kilometers altitude. And I say typically because we um, uh, piggyback on launches that are uh, primed by third parties. So we tend to go where the rocket's going as opposed to dictating where we want to go. Um, but that's, that's typically the characteristic of the orbit. It's, um, we prefer um, a, uh, an LCAN of uh, sort of between 9.30 and 2.30 p.m. 
9.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m., which is just a uh, local time of the ascending node. It's just a, a characteristic of the sun-synchronous orbit. And all that means is we want to be uh, over any site on the surface of the Earth at a local time on the ground ranging between 9.30 in the morning, 2.30 in the afternoon. And that, that, and that in turn, is because of the uh, that we need the sun's light in order to make our measurements. So it's important that we be over a site during sunlight hours. Now, how important is it for you to be able to put the satellite in the exact orbit that you want to put it in? Uh, not very. And for us, we have a lot of flexibility in the orbits that um, will work for us. As I just mentioned, we have a you know a general specification, if I can put it that way, for the orbit we'd like to be in. But um, you know, if there are, the orbit is a little higher, if it's a little later or a little earlier or even um, uh, inclined orbits would be possible given, um, you know, the right uh, additional coverage of certain areas uh, where we have high demand. So we're not fussy. We have a lot of flexibility. The important thing is that we'd be able to measure during daytime hours. So that flexibility, that also, you know, in my thinking, um, would actually maybe help you reduce launch costs because you can now go out and, and find a cheaper solution that might not necessarily be, a, you know, a specific. You don't have to go to a provider and say you have to send me to this uh, orbit, right? That's right. And uh, we are starting to see some very competitive pricing on the market, which is very exciting. And uh, it is still a, a, a very dynamic market, um, and the launch market that is, where uh, suppliers offer, in some cases, very specific orbits for a premium. In other cases, piggyback opportunities at a lower cost. Um, so there's all kinds of models and ranges. Um, but we are starting to see it some very, very competitive pricing that uh, I think will help not just us, but many other new space providers uh, or service providers um, get, uh, you know, into uh, the places they want to be at a, at a reasonable cost. Um, do you plan on uh, at some point publishing pricing for um, your visualization service or is that always going to be on a customer, you know, dealing with the customers and letting them know? Well, the visualization service is going to be free. So the, the aggregated two by two kilometer visualization will be entirely free. And that's what's going to be available on our website. The uh, higher resolution data will not be available on our website. That will continue to be a subscription service that we offer through our regular sales channel. So either through certain resellers or directly ourselves. And that, um, no, we will not be publishing list prices for that. But certainly, uh, I mean, those are active discussions we have with many customers around the world. And um, we, uh, we're well prepared for those kind of discussions. Um. Now, in terms of uh, fundraising, are, are you planning on, 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 on doing another series, uh, a Series B round or, or any type of fundraising this year? Or, or do, are you fine in, in terms of cash flow and for the development of the next uh, generation of satellites? Well, we're certainly fine in terms of cash flow right now. And uh, with the launch of our next two satellites, we're very excited to see the revenue that we're going to generate from those. Uh, we have... Um, signed a number of really interesting contracts just in the last six, last six months, uh, both based on Claire's performance, our first satellite, in anticipation of our next satellite. So that's all good. Um, but certainly to build 10 more 
satellites, um, and some aircraft units, by the way. Um, that is a significant capital investment. And yes, having uh, new equity brought into the company to support those is an important part of the plan. So um, I won't talk to specifics about how we're doing that today, but I will say that we, generally speaking, yes, we are in, in the midst of another fundraising round. It is going well. There's a lot of market interest, and I look forward to being able to announce something in uh, the not-too-distant future. So I have to ask one last question related to that. Um, are you open to telling us how much you're looking to raise? No, I'd rather not make that public, but... Um, it's, it's certainly a, a raise that's in line with what you would expect from uh, other entities that are raising money for Series B. And then that, and Series B is, of course, what the stage we're at now. And so there's plenty of benchmarks out there from, you know, whether it be uh, Hawkeye or uh, Capella or Satellogic or others that have uh, had Series Bs closed recently and we're in the same ballpark. All right. So people go out there and Google uh, and you'll find some <laughs> info on that. All right. So uh, just a couple more questions. Um, so finally, uh, I noticed that uh, the launch of GHG Sat C1 or IRIS, which is your next satellite, is now tentatively scheduled for March. And actually, I, I have a date, March 24th. Uh, of course, that date obviously could, could uh, very well move, but uh, that's actually coming up pretty uh, quickly. Are you confident that you're going to be able to, to launch in, in that uh, March time frame? Well, we're ready, and we've been ready for several months, so we're <laughs> really excited to get to get this launch happening. Uh, yes, we are confident. Uh, all the feedback we've received from our partners and our launch provider is that everything is go and uh, looking positive. We're highly confident in the success of this next launch. Uh, there's been a lot of meticulous attention paid by uh, our launch provider and um their partners to make sure that this is a successful launch and uh, we're really looking forward to getting to orbit so we're very excited so yeah so just so that people know you're flying on an Ariane Spas Vega rocket and it was uh, a Vega rocket and it's the the uh, VV-16 mission uh, and the last Vega rocket um, had an anomaly and that was last September and they've been doing their due diligence since then to get back to launching. So uh, with that, do you have, uh, out of curiosity, did you get insurance for this launch? We certainly did. Okay, you did. Okay. Not everybody's doing that. So um, that's why I ask. All right. So once yeah, Iris yeah. is launched, sorry? Mm-hmm. No, no, that's fine. Go ahead. So when do you expect to have the launch of your next satellite, Hugo? We expect the next launch to be in the summer of 2020. Hi. So um, I don't have any more questions, surprisingly, uh, but I will give you the last word. Anything else that uh, you think we should be aware of? I came back from this experience at Davos with a, um, a real enthusiasm for the ways in which we GHGSAT can support uh, the global community with um, uh, the fight against climate change and through quantifying and, and detecting greenhouse gas emissions from facilities around the world. You know, and I, I think we're in just such a perfect time to be able to bring um, data to the debate on all sides of the debate to help accelerate this, the change that we need. So. Um, 
I'm thrilled. I'm really excited. We've got a, a, a great team we've been able to attract at GHG Sat. We continue to grow. Uh, 2020 is going to be a really exciting year for us. And um, fingers crossed, um, you know, with a, a bit of luck and a whole lot of effort, we've, we're going to have a tremendous next couple of years. So, yeah, so I, now I do have a, another question. Speaking of growth, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of growth, how many people have you got working with uh, at GHG Sat now? We're coming up on 50. On 50? Um, that's, yep, 50 uh, full-time direct employees at GHG Sat. And uh, we also are lucky enough to recruit uh, some really, really impressive um, interns that uh, over and above that number. Um, they're coming from several universities across Canada. Um, and so it's, it's a great team. We expect to add uh, about another 20 uh, before the end of the year. And uh, beyond that, uh, we're going to scale with demand, which we, of course, expect to be um, blazingly, you know, uh, <laughs> fast growth and therefore significant uh, increase in the team size as well. And those 20, those are employees, not interns. <laughs> That's right. We're expecting to add to about 20 more full-time employees. Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much for the update, Stefan. Um, hopefully, uh, we'll get you on uh, in the future once you've got some more news for us. Perfect. Well, thanks, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity to catch up. Well, that's a wrap on this podcast. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca. I read and answer all your comments in a timely fashion. You can also find SpaceQ on Twitter at Canada in Space, and we post all our articles and podcasts to Facebook. Regardless of which app you use to listen to us, we really appreciate it if you could rate our podcast and write a review. Of course, that's only if you like us. Your rating and review will help us in getting the podcast widely listened to. And hey, if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash spaceq. Lastly, if you haven't listened to the latest episode of our new podcast, Terranauts, what are you waiting for? Host Ian Christie is a natural interviewer who knows how to tease good stories from those who work every day in space but don't go to space. Terranauts is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite app. Listen to it now. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.